KMTT Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. This is Ezra Bick. Today is Wednesday, and another installment in the series on the Akedah. Uh, today, I would like to discuss the comment, the approach of the Mea Shilach, Motri uh, Yosef of Izbich, the Izbich Rebbe, to the to the Akedah. This is different than anything we've spoken about in the past, which was not surprising to anyone who's familiar with the Sefer Me'ashilach. It raises a very, very important and interesting question, and uh, it's at least worth, definitely worth, uh, worth discussing. The Me'ashilach uh, comments on the Akedah twice, Chelek Aleph and Chelek Bet of the Sefer. Basically the same comment, it, uh, with a slight difference. I, I quote first from the Chelek Bet, Pashat Vayera, second Chelek, Pashat Vayera, on the Nisayon. He says as follows, Ikar ha-Nisayon Let's first realize what he's trying to say here. What was the main Nisayon? What was the main trial, test? In our terms, what he's coming to explain is what was the conflict? What did Abba Mabinu have to overcome? We've seen a few of the explanations in the past. We can think of how he more. Was he overcoming his love? Was he overcoming his ethical sense? Was he overcoming what I said in the very, very first year? He's overcoming his own belief in his own nationality. So, the Yishbitzah says as follows, Ikav ha-Nisayon ma'akidah machmat shayam mefurash lepanav halav lo tirzach. Umagam lishchot et bina. He says, the Nisayon was because Tavam Abinu, it was clear, it was pashut, it was mefurash, that it's forbidden to kill, surely to kill your own son. It sounds like he's starting off the way we began two months ago. But, but he explains it a little bit differently. Ki bepshitut, he says, in truth, it was no Nisayon from Avraham Avinu to fulfill God's command to kill his son or to even kill himself. Well, I just said now that Avraham Avinu's conflict is between God's command and the ethical prohibition to kill. He says, that's definitely not true. If Avraham Avinu is commanded, he'll do it. And, and so what if it's awesome? Things that we've discussed at length in the first, at least the first couple of Shiva in this series. So the Meshidach says that it's clear and simple for Avraham Avinu to choose to follow God's command and not to pay any attention to the ethical. But, He's quoting Zohar, based on the term Ve'elokim Nisa, as opposed to Vahashem Nisa. And the Zohar says that the use of the title Elokim rather than the Shem Havaya Yutke Vavke, is because this prophecy, this vision to Avraham Avinu, whereby he was commanded to sacrifice his son, was unclear. It was an unclear mirror, meaning an unclear vision. He wasn't told directly, unequivocally, to kill his son. It could be the reference here to the Medrash, which we discussed uh, a while ago, which says that the word, Leha'alot, uh, 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 to raise him up could be interpreted to simply raise him in the air rather than to sacrifice. It could be that the reference here is to the point raised by the Rambam, of course, in the opposite direction. But the Rambam raised the question, and I mentioned this once, that one of the lessons of the Akedah is the incontrovertibility of prophecy. Because the Rambam said, had there been any doubt in Avraham Avinu's mind, as the authenticity of the vision, he would not have done it, since it is in fact forbidden to sacrifice one son. And therefore the Rambam derives from this that in some way, 
prophecy is a self-validating experience. So it could be that what the Meshulach here is saying the opposite, that of course it's not self-validating. There's always some doubt. Or at least in this case, it's no more than a dream. It doesn't have that clarity that the Rambam is, is attempting to refer to. And therefore, one could say that in the morning, perhaps it was only a dream, a silly dream, and not a true vision. Okay, the, the Meshach doesn't say which of these two uh, uh, uncertainties lies behind the expression, <coughs> excuse me, lies behind the expression of Spalai Dilon Nahara, and there might be other possibilities as well, but in any event, Avraham Avinu does not have an absolute certainty that, in fact, he has been commanded by God to sacrifice his son. And Avraham Avinu is confused, is uncertain. He doubts. He suffers from doubt. And he could therefore, rationally, have determined the doubt in either direction. And now comes the crucial line. If Avraham Avinu had even the slightest negia, what does the word negia mean? Negia is a word that's used in Hebrew, it's used in, it's used in Yiddish. It means an interest, but here it means afilu ktsat negia. If any, if any, the word negia literally means a touching, a a a, uh, a connection. If Avraham Avinu had any sort of interest, personal interest, in connection with Yitzchak. A remnant of the love of a father to a son, then he would have answered the question as to the validity of the night vision of the prophetic dream by saying that it was not an authentic dream. And he didn't do it. In other words, what is the Meshilach saying? He's saying that the Nisayin of Avinu was to in the face of radical uncertainty, to eliminate any possible personal consideration which would affect his ability to truly choose. Now, if we if we step back, and, and I'll, I'll come later to the question of the radical and absolute uncertainty that he's describing here. If we ignore that, the problem that's being described here is, after all, a constant one. We all face decisions, moral decisions, personal decisions, which are meant to be decided purely objectively and rationally. But the human being is extremely complicated and we almost always have some sort of personal considerations which might affect it. And the question is whether we are capable of eliminating those considerations. You have to decide whether conduct A or conduct B is correct for yourself or for someone else. But there's a negia. There's always a negia. Sometimes there's an obvious negia. It affects you or someone you know. Uh, we're, we're wiser. We've learned psychology. We know that very often in the Giyot, which even aren't even direct, but if you decide this way for him, it'll have some effect on your ability to do something else. Who knows? Who knows? Who is capable of even of judging where our personal considerations, influences, psychological influences, benefit and non-benefit end, and where a purely objective decision is being made? So the Meshulach says, this is the Nisayin of Avraham Avinu, to completely negate any feelings he has for his son. For if he does not do so, then he will not judge correctly. Remember, the question here, if I think from the the Meshulach better, is not what's the right thing to do. It's not clear that feelings for your son are not, are not relevant. 
the question they were facing here is, what did God command? Now, this you have to understand it in context. I think the general problem can be can be expanded, but in the context of the Akedah, it's as follows. Abraham Avinu will do what God commands. In in face of God's command, his love for his son, his ethical beliefs, everything becomes irrelevant. But he doesn't actually know for certain, it's not 100% clear, what has God commanded? His therefore decision now is to decide what it has what has God commanded. That's his problem. It's problem not to decide what's right. What's right is what God says. But what in fact has God said? Now to judge that, you uh, have to listen to the dream very clearly. I don't know how to do it exactly, but there's a way of knowing. But it's 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 two sided enough. There are two possibilities clearly enough that with a little bit of prejudice, with a negia then one will prefer one side over the other for the wrong reason. So that's the question here. When we decide, you have to decide crucial questions for the right reasons and not for any other reason. This question, what did God command? His love for his son is not relevant, but very powerful, but not relevant. And therefore, Avraham Avinu has to negate, and presumably I think the Ishbitza is saying that the three-day journey of Avraham Avinu from his home to Mount Moriah, and we pointed out in the past, that the Chazal understood the three days as being crucial. The 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 inner turmoil of Avinu in those three days is part of the Akedah. So the inner turmoil that the uh, uh, the Meshidoch is describing is that Avinu spends three days negating, neutralizing, neutralizing his love for his son. So that the decision as to what happened in the middle of the night, did God speak to me and what did God say? Exactly what does he require and what does he want? That will be what Avraham Avinu will decide, uninfluenced by anything extraneous to that. In the in the first chalak of the Meshidach, there's a slightly longer comment, basically in the same theme, which I think will make this a little bit clearer. Uh, he says the same, he says basically the same thing there. V'hinei, be'emet, lo hayal Avraham dibur meforash v'ashemit varach sheishchotet v'no. In truth, Avraham Avinu did not have a clear and explicit an explicit command of God that he should slay his son. Which we know from the fact that it says Elohim and not Hashem. Um, if if Avinu had any negia, any consideration, any self-interest of a father to his son, then that would have forced him to have pity and he would not have slaughtered him. And then he gives the following example, a, a second example of the same sort of dilemma for Avraham Avinu. And I think this other example can help us understand what he's saying about the case of the Akedah. Remember, in the previous Pasha, in Pasha Lech Lecha, Avraham Avinu, I'm sorry, in the beginning of Pasha Bayera, Avraham Avinu had gone to argue with God about stone. God was going to destroy stone because they were wicked, and Avraham Avinu goes to beg for mercy to try to save them. In his preface to his argument with God, Avraham says, "Va'anochi afar va'efer, I am dust and ashes." And here is how the Meir Shiloh explains dust and ashes. Afar more al ma'aseh she'ino mivureret v'tzricha le'tikon ki me'afar yachol itznoach. He's saying both these things, both afar and efer are references to a an unclear situation. There are two possibilities. But these are two different uh, 
two different pictures of the unclarity. One is afar. Afar is a situation which is unclear, but but some good can come of it, because from dust a plant can grow. Afar, ashes, hainu evad, is something which is totally destroyed, totally burnt beyond redemption. Anochi afar ve'efer means that what I'm going to do now, to argue with you that you should save stone and not destroy stone, God, I am either afar, either I'm doing something from which some good might come. In other words, I'm right. Saving stone will be a good thing in the long run. Or, it's afar. I'm going to save stone. You will listen to me and save stone, but, but that will be ashes because it'll be a bad thing. Remember a very famous comment of Chazal, which is quoted often and doesn't always help us because it can go both ways. Chazal say, Misha merachem alachzarim rachmanim. If you have mercy on the cruel, you will in the end be cruel to the merciful. Words, sometimes you have to, you have to be cruel. You can't, you can't have mercy on the cruel, mercy on the evildoers, because people will suffer from that. So the merciful thing to do is to kill them. It's merciful not to them, but to others. We have to choose. We can't just always do the, the, the simple, the nice thing, the merciful thing. This is, you can't just have love for everybody. Ethics, doing the truly right, even doing the truly merciful, means necessarily sometimes doing cruelty. So, he puts in, the Meshulach puts in Abraham Avinu's mouth when arguing with God about stone, the following personal dilemma for Abraham Avinu. He doesn't know, in truth, whether one should save stone or not. Because he doesn't know what's going to come of it. You save stone, you give them another chance, they'll use it to, to do more evil, to kill more people, to torture more innocent wayfarers who pass through the, the city of stone. If it's a good thing, then he is afar. He, Abraham Avinu says, I am dust. I am the bed from which something can spring, and the soil from which good things could grow. But if I'm wrong, if my being instrumental in getting a reprieve for stone will lead to more evil in the world, then I'm Afer. In fact, in terms of the Akeda, since we know that God does not want Abba Marino to kill Yitzhak, and killing Yitzhak will in fact be a disaster, so that's the Afar Afer. I'm Afar if I kill Yitzhak, and it is God's will, and, and it'll bring some sort of a tikkun, a redemption to the world. But, in fact, the truth is that had Abraham Avinu killed Yitzhak, it would have been Eifer. It would have been a terrible thing. No tikkun, no good thing would have come of it. V'chein ba'anshei stom. The Meshudah continues. Im yif'al b'tfilato sh'yichyu, uv'im yu od b'rish'am, aziyak Eifer. If Abraham Avinu will cause life to be granted to the people of stone, and they will continue to be evil, then he is Eifer. She'ein lo tzmicha, nothing can go of it. End of, end of comment. But what the reason why I quoted the second comment is actually the first in the order of the Svarim. The second comment was in order to, to, to emphasize the dilemma that the Meshidach says that Rambino is facing. His decision in the case of Storm has to be, is it good to have the Stormites live or is it good to have them die? His decision in the case of Yitzhak is, what has God commanded me? His feelings of love for Yitzchak are irrelevant. In the case of Storm, his his natural softness, I don't know how to put it, you know, his natural preference for peace rather than war is also irrelevant. Because war is a necessary means of promoting world peace. Sometimes. And therefore the Nisayon is to 
eliminate the powerful love that Avram has for Yitzchak before he makes up his decision. Okay, so one minute on on this lesson of the Akedah. It's, I think, a very, very important lesson. And I think that, in fact, as a psychological point, the Meshulach has placed his finger on a, on a crucial factor. Human life is complicated, and man faces a constant Nisayan in being totally objective. Perhaps I have to do it totally because I'm not talking about corrupt people. I'm not talking about someone who makes a decision, and the reason why he does it is because he'll make money. I'm a judge. I make a decision to, to, uh, to, uh, uh, validate one side in the argument because he's bribed me. Okay? That, that, that's corruption. But on a psychological level, things are very, very, very difficult. Personally, this is both agreeing and disagreeing with the Meshirach. I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible. Uh, one thing that modern psychology has taught us is that the the possible nigiot, the possible self-considerations are so large, so wide, and so buried that it's highly unlikely that one could ever totally eliminate them. So I don't know if I'm agreeing or disagreeing. I, I agree with the May Yishilach. You're supposed to do that. And so perhaps that's the, that's the lesson. One has to eliminate to the best of one's ability. One has to be aware and then and then act. There's a related question raised by the Musa, the Chachmeya Musa, people by the Meshulach as well, in connection with Yaakov Avinu. In B'Kesh Yaakov, Leishe B'Shalva, Hashaf from last week, the beginning of Ayeshev, Yaakov Avinu wanted to live in peace. So, Farshim uh, say, one of the explanations given is that Yaakov wished to avoid the moral ambiguity we've just described. And whenever something was unclear to him, whether he was acting with the proper intentions or not, he preferred not to act. Now, what that leads to, in the case of Yaakovinu, is, is not acting. You know, avoiding situations which might be ambiguous. But in fact, the life is ambiguous. And therefore, God drags Abraham Avinu back into an ambiguous situation. You have to decide, Yosef, the brothers, what to do here, what to do there. You can't keep your hands clean and your soul clean by never acting unless you know that you're 100% pure. So that, that, that's really my point. In other words, is it possible to ever be 100% pure? And I don't think it's possible. Or according to the Meshulach, it was really very, very difficult and Avraham Avinu achieved it. Okay, as an example to us. But in our lives, it's going to be very, 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 very difficult. And the question now is, if you haven't achieved the clarity that he claims Avraham Avinu could have achieved, then what do you do? So here I think, my own opinion, and I believe the Meshulach says it, I have to check, says it about Yaakov Avinu, that the Torah says, you have to act anyhow. So you do the best you can. If you think it's right, you do it, even though you haven't totally uh, purified your own intentions. But that won't make the act wrong, even though you are not acting as a totally pure person, as long as you know the act is right anyhow. Do the best you can. Okay, so this is a crucial, crucial, crucial point in our moral lives. And and whether this is the Pshat and the Akedah, I don't know. Uh, but using the Akedah as an, as an example, if Avraham Avinu, as I pointed out, this trial is definitely against the Rambam. And uh, the ignoring the ethical, I believe it's against what I uh, it's against what I try to develop in the first couple of shiurim. But it does make a difference. The point is, if there was a decision, as he's defined the decision here, what has God said at night, then one must eliminate to the best of one's abilities all irrelevant factors, including the love for one's child, which is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing, but it's irrelevant to this. It's irrelevant to this question. Assuming it's irrelevant to this question. The second point raised by the Ishbitzer is much more difficult because this has to do with the way he defined the problem. He in no place indicates how Abraham in the end, in fact, chose. And this is because he, in fact, 
has stated that this case is radically ambiguous. There is, in fact, no way of knowing what God actually wants. Having a dream at night can be interpreted in one of two ways. Either that you're dreaming or that you're having a connection to God. If we eliminate the Rabbim's comment, the prophecy is self-validating, then then there is, Avamir has a real dilemma. And this appears to be the case in Stom. Avamir has no way of actually knowing whether or not saving Stom will be good for humanity or bad for humanity. Only God can know that. You can believe, you can have hopes, but the stakes are very high. Stom is a very, very evil place. And giving them one extra day on earth, someone is going to suffer. We have these cases all the time, though. You, uh, uh, they have to decide whether to have uh, clemency or to let uh, someone out on probation to let a criminal back on the streets. The judge has to decide whether or not to to uh, hold him for bail or not. Uh, constant films, that or television shows that run on this basis. So he lets him out. Next day he kills somebody. Ah! You're responsible. You're the judge. You're responsible for this because you let him out and he went in and he killed somebody. You put him back on the street. On the other hand, if you put him away and he was innocent, or not say innocent, but you put him away and he, he could have been reformed, so you, you're just destroying somebody. There is no actual way of knowing and if that's the dilemma that Avraham faces, and that's what makes his love for his son so dangerous here, because it's so simple to tilt the decision in one direction, since in fact the stakes are exactly 50-50, they're exactly balanced in, two, in, 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 in both directions. And that's why it is so important to eliminate the love for your son. But what do you do after you've eliminated it? Why in fact did Avraham go ahead and take the sword in his hand to kill his son? So here we're on much more dangerous ground. Uh, I'm going to suggest something which I'm not sure is what the Meshulach believes. I, I actually suspect that it's not. But uh, it's the way I would understand the continuation of this question if I had asked the question. Let's take the case of Stom, where I think it's easier to answer. If Avon is facing a moral decision, should I try to save Stom or should I try to, or should I not try to save them? Should I allow God to destroy them? And the question is, is it good for the humanity or bad for humanity? Is it good to let evil people prosper in the hope that they will reform? Or is it bad to let evil people prosper because they hurt others? And you have a genuine dilemma. The odds, the statistics, the, the, the prognosis as a human being with his limited knowledge can see is 50-50. I think Avraham Avinu then says, if that's true, it's better to go for the side the side of mercy. It's true that Chazal say that he who is merciful to the cruel will in the end be cruel to the merciful. But, but, nonetheless, if I am unsure, it is better to be wrong on the side of mercy than wrong on the side of necessary cruelty, necessary justice. Now, notice I did not say it is better to be wrong with mercy than right with cruelty. That's that's incorrect. That's a sort of, you know, uh, hippie, wishy-washy, love-conquers-all kind of philosophy, which, which Chazal were really opposed to, and I think Judaism is opposed to. It's not true that it's better to love no matter what the consequences are. Bad consequences of unmitigated love makes the love wrong, makes the love evil. So it is definitely better to be right with cruelty than wrong with mercy. But our question is, is it better to be wrong with mercy than wrong with cruelty? And here I say the answer is yes, it's better to be wrong with mercy. And the reason is because there's a difference between the midah, the attribute of mercy, and the attribute of necessary cruelty. Consequences matter. 
Rafchesta Kreskas, in a section that's closely connected to the section we discussed three or four weeks ago, speaks about why God does evil in the world. He doesn't say it's not evil. It is evil. Children dying, earthquakes, tsunamis, those are evil. But God does evil if it serves the good. I'm not going to go into the details now. But evil in the service of good is, is justified. But it remains evil. Consequences matter. If you, if you have a good consequence, that justifies what you've done. But mercy isn't only justified by its consequences. It can be undermined by negative consequences. But mercy is good in and of itself. It's God's, it's God's nature to be good. It's God's ability to be, so to speak, bad if it serves the good. So if I know the consequences, or if I believe I know the consequences, if it's likely to have certain consequences, that trumps everything. We will be strict or cruel to our children if it will make them better people. We will punish the evil in our society if they'll be good for society or good for them or whatever other justification. But if you're radically unsure, then it is better to be merciful than to be cruel irrespective of the consequences. It's better to be wrong with mercy than wrong with cruelty because mercy is God's nature and is good in and of itself. And the cruelty, the destruction of stone is only good if good comes out of it. But mercy to the people of stone is first of all good in and of itself, provided that not too much evil comes out of it. That is how I would explain, assuming that Meshulach is correct, that Avraham Avinu is genuinely and radically perplexed about the outcome of his decision on stone, that is how he chose to do what he did. The application to the arcade is a little more complicated. Why does Avraham Avinu choose to, to slaughter? I think the answer would be, if I were continuing in this vein, and following the Meshulach, the answer is that love of God includes the step that if you don't know, you take it at face value. That's a little complicated because if the question is whether well, that God even said it, then how do you know that's what you're dealing with? If the question is, as the Medrash raised, what's the pshat in the words? What's the explanation of the words? Leha alot, then it could be that if you're radically unsure, love says, take it at face value and don't be overly sophisticated, overly clever. I suspect this is the way to explain Avraham Avinu's choice if we understand it the way the Meishidach has presented it. Avraham Avinu could say, God didn't mean me to slaughter my son. He could say, God never even told me to slaughter my son. But having had the experience, we can always doubt our experiences, but having had the experience of God speaking to him, then love of God requires him not to question what he's been told, unless he really knows it's wrong, and here he doesn't know. I've seen explanations of the Meishidach which actually claim the opposite. They claim that what Avraham Avinu chose to do is not to slaughter. This is based on other other points in the Meshiloch and other places, points which I find very, very difficult to have to do with that. If you have an unconquerable urge within you, it's always right, even if it's against an explicit mitzvah in the Torah. So Avraham Avinu, in fact, was unable, I'm just quoting this, it's, I think it, doesn't, it doesn't appear in the section I read, Avraham Avinu was unable to overcome his love for his son, therefore he knew that the love for the son was in fact God's will, and not only his own personal Megiyah. Psychologically, I would find this very difficult, extremely dangerous, because uh, people do have unconquerable urges, and the Meshidoch would appear in other places, talking about Pinchas and Zimin, different places, to say that if you have unconquerable urge, then you should view that as being correct. What we know about psychology would indicate that it's not true, 
I hope it's not true. And that's why we have the Torah to tell us to do that which God says and not to follow some sort of inner, inner, inner clear voice because you never know how, what the source of your inner clear voice is. It's the opposite of the point I began in the beginning. One is extremely influenced by all sorts of negiot and there is no way of actually eliminating them all. And so I'm saying there's no explanation. I, I'm suggesting what I <coughs> think would, would, would be the application here. Could be that if you have a radically even choice, radical ambiguity, whether God wants you to do this or not, then the simple shot, it's better to be wrong with simplicity than wrong with complications. In other words, I can give a very, very complicated story to explain why God doesn't want me to do this. Although the simple pshat in the puzzle says you should do it. This happens to us sometimes. You know, you know that you're supposed to do mitzvahs. No, but I have a very complicated argument. You should really stand on your head because it's the best thing. So the argument might be correct, but unless you're sure that it's correct, 50-50, then just stick with the pashup shot. You can't go wrong. You can't go too wrong there. It's better to be simple, to love God and do that which He apparently has said to you, even though you might be wrong, than to figure it out on your own, do something very, very complicated, stand on your head, and claim that it's God's will, if you might be wrong. It has to do with how does one act in ambiguity. An important point, which is the point I think this leaves us with, is that the world is in fact very, very ambiguous. We don't always know the right answer. And not merely for the reason of our faces, but because they're looking to here this way, they're looking to that direction. Cases are complicated. No case is actually 100% equivalent to the precedence in the Halacha, in the Gemara, in the Torah. Life is infinite in its complications, and the Torah is finite in its direct explanations. You have to apply it, and there's always room to figure out different possibilities. And in that respect, how does one in the end choose? So one chooses because of Avat Hashem, because of an attempt to be clear. One should first of all try to clarify as much as possible, eliminate external negiyat, and then follow Avat Hashem, Avat Atov, because it's better to be wrong with Ava, Avat Atov, Avat Chesed, Avat Hashem, than to be wrong without it. That's it for today. Uh, there's probably a lot more to say about this particular approach. But I leave it for you to complete. We'll be back next week with another episode in this series. Till then, call to the Shalom.